Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. This message is a part of our series on the book of Philippians, where we are exploring the significance of this New Testament letter for us today. We're continuing our series in Philippians, and today we're going to talk about the unity of the church, which I think seems like a strange and yet very relevant topic as we're spread out throughout the tri-region center. We all like the, the idea of unity in community until we have to deal with people. Most pastors I know have cast grand visions for community only to throw their hands up in frustration when people built up, uh, showed up and you had to build a community with live humans. Community is easy to dream about. It's easy to pontificate on but it's a lot harder to develop and a lot harder to sustain, particularly when things get, go tough. I remember the old Peanuts cartoon where Linus declares loudly, I love mankind, it's people that I can't stand. And so wherever you have people, you have community or some form of community and you have the challenge of building community and developing community and maintaining unity in, in community. So life in community, I think, can be wonderful, but it can also be frustratingly painful. Those who have been involved in any kind of relational community, whether it's a, a marriage or a family or a church, probably have the scars to prove it. Uh, so before I read, before we read the text, I, I want to say to you as a pastor, thank you to the people of Stony Plain Alliance Church for working at being a community. These past three years since the fire, I think, have been some of the most difficult years that we've been through. You think of the intensity of the time that we've been through over the last three years, the fire, having to relocate to a new school, setting up in a gym, um, going through a building project, and now this worldwide pandemic. Any one of those is enough to put a dent in the unity of our church. And then you put all of those, you string all of those together in a very intense period of time. And I, I think that you have done remarkably well at building a community. And I wanna thank you. I, I'm incredibly blessed to be your pastor. I am incredibly blessed to be working with you in building our community together. But scripture warns us, and I think we, this is a word for our time. Scripture warns us that the way that the enemy is most likely to attack us would be through our unity. But when Jesus prayed for his disciples before he went to the cross, he prayed for their oneness. He prayed for their unity. He thought it was important enough that he would pray for it. And in the epistles, Paul is consistently talking about church unity. And we get to that piece here again as we come to this section in Philippians. And so before we consider life and community and what it means to be unified as a community, we're going to hear from Johnston and Cody Clark as they read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. We're the Clarks, and we'll be reading to you from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from, be, from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The church in Philippi was under attack internally and externally. They're, they're divided, uh, becoming divided. There, there was the stress fractures were starting to show. And that's why Paul called them in the previous chapter to live a life that was worthy of the gospel. And the life worthy of the gospel was, was them standing firm together in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Unity was critical in their ability to proclaim Jesus. Unity was critical to their mission in Philippi. See, when we're divided, we become useless and irrelevant to the purposes of God. When the church is divided, the enemy scoffs at us and the world considers us a sham. But when the church is united, we become a powerful force for Christ in our community. A divided church is a useless church, but a church that is united in Christ is an unrelenting and unstoppable force. The question that Paul is addressing in this text is, how do we keep unity? How does the church continue to move forward with arms that are linked together for the sake of Jesus? And the answer is found in this text. Here it is. Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one, of, one in mind. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we all have to uh, think alike? Does that mean that we can't disagree? Does it mean that we can't have questions? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that at all. If we jump down to verse 5, Paul tells us that we should be in agreement or what we should be in agreement on. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. See, the answer to our unity is that we are called to be united in our focus on having the same mindset as Jesus. We're called to be in full agreement as a church that we will all be aligned on becoming like Jesus. That, that's not just supposed to be a part of a mission statement that, that hangs on a wall somewhere. It's, it's not supposed to be something that we just post on a website. It's not supposed to be something that we reach a consensus on. It's not supposed to be something that we take a vote on and the vote passes by 51%. We're to be in 100% agreement and fiercely focused on becoming like Jesus as a church. As individual believers, we're supposed to set the direction of our lives toward becoming like Jesus, be in agreement as a church have 100% agreement among the members of the church that we will become like Jesus. Be in agreement on this. Let it burn in your heart. Let it keep you awake at night. Let it, let it drive you to prayer that everyone in this body would be intent on becoming like Jesus. And so what does that look like? Let, let me give you four things from this text that help us to understand the mindset of Jesus. Four things, and we'll unpack them in a moment. First of all, think of yourself less. Secondly, give up your rights for others. Thirdly, give everything, all that you have for the sake of others. And then fourthly, obedience, whatever the cost. First of all, think of yourself less. 
If the church is going to be unified, it means that all of us are going to think of ourselves less. Not think less of ourselves, but think of ourselves less, which is a challenge because we live in an age where we're encouraged to think of ourselves more. We're, first of all, we're self-focused. I mean, most of us are, are quite self-focused. We think a lot about ourselves. And, um, you know, if you were to look at a photograph, a group photograph with yourself in it, you probably tend to look at yourself first. And if you look terrible, the photograph probably is a terrible photograph, at least in your mind. And if you look great, but everyone else looks like a schmuck, then you think that it's a great photograph. Typically, we do that. Not only are we naturally self-focused, we also live in this age of self where we talk about self-improvement and self-help and self-actualization and self-fulfillment and self-care and self-happiness. Everything revolves around the self. Everything exists for the sake of self. And nothing epitomizes self more than the fact that we live in this age, not just of the self, but the selfie. You know what a selfie is, right? It's that spontaneous photograph that catches you off guard when you're not looking. Actually, it's the exact opposite. It's a carefully curated picture of yourself. It's the way that you want yourself to be presented. Someone said that the definition of a selfie is a picture of who we think we are and who we think is watching. There are roughly 93 million selfies that are taken every day. The average millennial, and I'm not picking on millennials, you just have a little bit longer to live than those of us who are ahead of you, but the average millennial will take over 25,000 selfies in the course of their lifetime. 16 to 25-year-old females will spend five hours a week taking and posting selfies. And since 2011, 259 risk-takers have died in attempts to take the perfect selfie. Paul is saying, if you want to have a community where people are actually reflecting Christ, if you want to have a community that's united, you actually have to start thinking of yourself less and starting to consider other people more. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking out to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Selfish ambition is insisting on my way. Vain conceit is doing so because you believe yourself to be more important than someone else. Selfish ambition wants to be prominent. Vain conceit believes itself more deserving than anyone else. Selfish ambition makes others yield to what it says. And vain conceit assumes its thoughts, desires, and happiness matters more than someone else's. Selfish ambition and vain conceit cause dissension and conflict. Wherever there's dissension, wherever there's conflict, selfish ambition and vain conceit are in full operation. Someone wants to be the center of attention and someone is thinking too much of themselves. Have you ever noticed that there are some people who just love to be at the center of conflict? If there's not conflict, they're bored and they kind of have to create conflict and they even write it off and say that, you know, I'm naturally a disturber. I'm naturally an agitator. I like conflict. Well, let me, let me let you in on a little secret. This is not your best serve. Value others above yourselves literally means consider other people surpassing you. Not, not in ability, not in skill, but in importance. Consider their needs. Consider their interests as coming ahead of yours, of surpassing yours. Consider them more deserving than yourself. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. Can you imagine the marriage, the family, the church, 
where everyone is just looking out for the needs of other people? What if we didn't make the worship service about ourselves and what we personally got out of it, but we're more concerned with what, what others would get out of it? What, what if those who considered themselves mature believers believe that the service should actually be geared more toward those who are new or those who are seeking? What if older people like me thought that we should gear our service more toward a younger generation rather than toward myself? And what, what if we started asking questions more than voicing our opinions? What if our small groups weren't there for us to pontificate on our opinions, but rather to find out the thoughts and the opinions of others? We can have unity in community when we place the interest and the needs of others above our own. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. Secondly, we can have unity in our community when we give up our rights for others. We, we live in a day where we think we need to assert our rights and freedoms. And Paul turns to the example of Jesus and says, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be grasped. Verse 6 talks about Jesus, who being Jesus was in the very nature of God. And that word nature is really important because it, it doesn't mean that Jesus had the outward form of God or Jesus had some sort of spiritual, mystical God nature. It's saying that Jesus was fully God in human flesh. Not a, not a junior God, not an assistant God, but fully God. And, and the question then is, if you were God, how would you act? Well, well we would probably think that, well, if God is all-powerful, then then God does whatever God wants to do. When God says jump, we better jump. When God wants something, we better run and get it. God has privileges. God has powers. God has prerogatives. God can take all of his resources and he can use those to entertain himself and to pamper himself and to feed his need and promote his agenda. But how would Jesus act? And here's the, here's the next phrase. He didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped. And that word grasped, means that you get something that that's, you're entitled to. You get something that you're privileged to. You have certain privileges, so go for it. Grasp it. Grab it. Just do it. Go for that thing because you're entitled to it. It's yours. And no one would argue with you if you did go for it. You deserve it. And, but here it's saying that, that Jesus didn't act in a way that we think that God would normally act. He doesn't grab for his rights and privileges. Here's what God does. He lays aside his rights for us. He has the right to consider himself to be equal with God the Father, but in coming to earth, he lays those rights aside for us. He doesn't assert his rights. He doesn't use them for his advantage. He lays them aside, and he uses them for our, our advantage. Paul is saying to the church, if you want to have the community that you've dreamed about, if you want to have a community that's united, if you want the church to look like the body of Christ in your community, then you need to lay aside your rights for the sake of other people. One of the things that I've often counseled couples in who are having a hard time is to give up the right to be right. I've often said to couples, and I do it quite boldly, if this is going to work, you just need to give up your right to be right. Right now, both of you feel justified. You feel like you're right. You feel like you need to win this thing. But let me let you in on a little secret. Being reconciled and being married and loving one another and blessing your kids and blessing your grandkids is better than being right. Communities become divided 
when everyone thinks that they have rights that they need to assert. I hear a lot of talk during COVID-19 about our rights, our, our rights to meet, our, our rights to sing, our rights not to wear a mask. What if the church wasn't so concerned about its rights to do certain things during these challenging days of COVID-19 and was more interested and intent on adapting what we normally do in the interest of serving those in our church who are struggling and our larger community. Some have even said we have the right to take communion if we want to. And as I've reflected on that, I thought, well, if we asserted our rights to take the Lord's Supper, we'd be violating the significance of the Lord's table. United communities are packed with people who choose to lay aside their rights, who choose to use their position and their privilege and their power, not for their advantage, but for the sake of blessing other people. They lay, they lay their rights aside so that other people can benefit. That's what Jesus did for us. And Paul is saying, if you're going to have a united community that reflects the character of Christ, this is what you do for one another. And then strong, united communities need people who give everything up for the sake of others. Verse 7 says he emptied himself. He, he emptied himself for us in love. I, I'm going to give my life for your life. And that, again, that's what God is like. Paul says, look at, look at Jesus. This, this is what God is like. He actually pours himself out. He empties himself. What does it mean to empty himself? Does it mean that he empties himself of his godness? Does he become less God? That's not it at all. So what does he empty himself of? That, that's, that's a way of saying that he poured himself out. He gave everything he had. He held nothing back. He gave it all when he became a human. And, and then he went further than that and became a servant. And then he went further than that and went to the cross. You know, we, we use that phrase in sports like, like hockey. We say they, they left nothing on the ice or they left nothing on the court if it's a basketball game. You know, if the Oilers are in the playoffs and it goes into overtime and the score is tied and they go into single overtime and double overtime and then finally someone scores at the end of triple overtime, you see the players, they're exhausted, they're almost laying on the ice and, and when we see something like that, they, we say they left nothing on the ice. They, they gave it all. They gave their best effort. They gave all of themselves to this game. They poured themselves out. And, and that's what Paul was talking about when it says Jesus emptied himself. Jesus leaves nothing out there. He gives everything for us. His whole life is a pouring out for the sake of other people. Jesus pours his life out for us, for you. You've benefited from his pouring out. If you're online, you should be saying amen right now. If you're watching with us online, go ahead and smash that heart button. Give it a, give it a big smash for us. Let's hear you about there. If you're just sitting on a couch next to someone, say amen along with this because this is, this is the gospel. This is Jesus giving his life up for us, pouring it out for us, holding nothing back, but giving his all for us. So most of us are, are willing to work tirelessly for ourselves. We work tirelessly. We work till we, till we drop almost to build our own little kingdoms, our own little portfolios, to advance our own cause. We will work tirelessly for ourselves. And we saw that particularly before COVID-19, where we lived in a society and a culture that was running 
at such a rapid pace that people talk constantly about being burned out, about being tired. What for? For building our own kingdom, for building our own cause. We hold nothing back for ourselves because we're naturally self-preserving and self-promoting. And when we come to Christ and we come into the church, we naturally come like that, with that agenda, with that in mind. But as we continue to encounter Christ and grow in Jesus, that mindset has to shift. Because unity can only be maintained when each of us is focused more on pouring ourselves out for the sake of others. To have a single-minded focus on pouring ourselves out for one another. Martin Luther King said from time immemorial, people have lived by the principle that self-preservation is the first law of life. But this is a false assumption. I would say that other preservation is the first law of life. Precisely because we cannot preserve self without being concerned about preserving other selves. The universe is so structured that things go awry if men are not diligent in their cultivation of the other regarding dimension. Jesus poured himself out for us. He demonstrated that perfectly. And then finally, we're able to have a strong, united community when we obey whatever the cost. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus is fully obedient. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. Jesus did what we never could do. He ran the race we, we should be running. He runs it perfectly and flawlessly and consistently. And none of us have ever done that because we're inconsistent. Sometimes we're interested in God other times we're not. Sometimes we're interested in doing the will of God. Other times we're not interested in doing the will of God. We say, no, I'm going to do it my own way. Jesus consistently, flawlessly did it the Father's way. He's flawless in his obedience to the Father, even when it cost him his own life, death on the cross. And the Bible tells us that we're flawed and we're broken because we have a sinful nature. And Jesus walks right into the midst of humanity and he lives life in the midst of a broken, sinful world without sinning. And he's obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And the cross, as we know, is the, is the lowest. It's the most shameful way to die. And yet we see Jesus there hanging on a cross out of obedience to the Father, which tells us that there's, there's no place that God wouldn't go for us. You can't go any higher than Jesus went. You can't go any lower than Jesus went. Jesus demonstrates ultimate obedience even when it leads to his shame and disgrace. And Paul is saying to us that unity can only happen when followers of Jesus are willing to resist the sinful nature, to grasp for power and prominence and prestige and become obedient to God, even if it makes us look bad, even if it makes us look shameful in the eyes of other people. Others may think we're foolish for not grasping for our rights. Others may think we're weak. Others may think we're cowards if we don't grasp for power, if we don't grasp for prominence, if we don't assert our rights. Paul is saying, Jesus became obedient even when he had to look shameful and disgraceful in the eyes of the world. That's what it means to be obedient to God. This is how strong communities are built. People who think of themselves less People who give their rights up for the sake of others. People who are willing to give everything they have to be obedient to God. And as we listen to that, we think, man, that's just such a high bar. It's, it's impossible. If you know your own heart and you've listened to this message, you might think, well, good luck, for, good luck with that. 
Or maybe you're thinking of the person on the couch next to you and you're thinking, oh, they need, to, they need to hear this message. But then you're thinking, I know them too well. Good luck with that. It is impossible. It is impossible if we think that we're just going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. This is not just an example that Paul is giving us. I mean, the example is there for us, and he is calling us to follow it, but it's not just an example. It's not just inspiration. This passage really is talking about heart change. If you go back to the beginning at verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, if Jesus has made a dent on your life, if Jesus has begun to change your heart, if Jesus has begun to transform you, if you've you've experienced this God who's given himself for you, who's laid aside his rights for you, who's emptied himself for you, who's considered uh, you before he's grasp for power or privilege, if, if this has made any dent on your life, then let your heart be so changed that you're willing to become like this one. This, this, this is what Paul is calling us to. He's calling us to be so transformed by Jesus that our hearts long to become like Jesus. So transformed by him that we want to be like him. And typically when we think of becoming like Jesus, we typically think of the power that Jesus had and displayed, the miracles that he worked. But here what Paul is calling us to is to take on the form of a servant, to give ourselves up for each other so that we can stand united as a church and become an unstoppable force in this world for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray together. Jesus, we give you thanks for your amazing, unprecedented example. No one else has ever done what you've done. No one else could ever do what you've done for us. And we thank you not just for your example, but for the power to live this as we're united with you, as we share in the spirit of God with you and each other. As our hearts are transformed, help us to become like Christ. Help this not just to be a mission statement we put on the wall or paste on our website or pair it to one another. We want to live this out so that the world will see a church that's united for the sake of Jesus. And we do so for your glory. Amen. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.